Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Wade and myself are in the studio here uh, doing a series on why America is losing its mind. It may or may not be an 11-part series, but just sort of going off uh, a few thoughts mostly Wade had about our current culture, how we speak to each other, how we interact with thoughts um, when it comes to education, our technology, uh, exasperated by our political situation in 2020, and then, of course, our pandemic as well. This probably will come in out um, in 2021. This is our sixth part in this series, and we are entitling it, The American Population is Getting Dumber. But we are not trying to be, as we said, uh, off-air elitist here. I think we would include ourselves we're in that. We're not equating uh, dumber with less educated. Absolutely not. What we're saying is we maybe have not been as clear of thinkers as we have been in the past. Um, and maybe we should do something about it kind of thing. So uh, the American population is getting dumber. We're going to talk about the, maybe the different kinds of knowledge that we have. Uh, where, where does wisdom play in uh, a part in that? Uh, how does this change the way we do education from little on all the way up to grad school? Um, and believe us when we mean we're not saying uh, more education equals being smarter. Or not even just institutional education. Yep, absolutely not. Um, in fact, we will bring that point up multiple times, I am sure. So um, with that said, why don't we uh, get to our disclaimer and then maybe we can come back for a free for all this well, time. We'll see. Do you maybe want to mention that we're part oh, of yeah. the podcast we're network? We're part of uh, the 1517 podcast network and really they do so much more than that. They have free uh, academy classes. They have what has become a pretty robust publishing arm. Uh, they were uh, the heirs to the new Reformation Press that had bought some titles and published their own stuff. But Wade, you've had a couple books with them. Um, I have a book coming out on vocation in April. Uh, the Academy classes are, I think there are maybe six now. Uh, I have one coming on vocation eventually. Maybe we can we can talk them into uh, you and I doing tag teaming Luther or something. <laughs> I think maybe they maybe they did do some Luther stuff already. So, fifteen seventeen dot org, good stuff. Uh, the Lutheran toolkit is that the newest one that's coming out? Their newest book here. The, um, yeah, I think that that is. one. I've seen the cover. I, and and flip through the, uh, uh, the the first couple of pages, but I, I don't I don't actually have a copy. I saw a copy at something that I was at, um, but that looks like a short, nice book. Um, Unveiling Mercy by Chad Bird. I've been using that as a daily devotional. That's been pretty good. What else have they come out recently that we should mention? It's honestly kind of hard to keep up with. I know our it's really good um, fellow Wells colleague. Um, crucial had yeah. the Jeremiah big book, big, nice book. book. Yep. So uh, big devotional. Uh, and that's a hard one to tackle, but he did it. Yeah, he did well. He did a good job. So, uh, there is a whole lot of content out there. Uh, new, um, podcasts. Um, they have, uh, some of their stuff from their last here. We still stand the 2020 here. We still stand obviously couldn't go face-to-face, uh, -face, and so they uh, went virtual, and you can get all of that content on their YouTube channel. Um, so there, there's just a ton of stuff there. Go 1517.org. You're going to find everything you need. All right. Should we have a disclaimer here? Yeah. I don't want us to get sued. So okay. I, it's been a long time, but we still agreed if we do get sued, they, they sue Ben. Oh, I'm sure all of our stuff's in Ben's name. Okay. Well, good. Um, this show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast, that's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way.
And that brings us to our free-for-all. We debated if we were going to do one. Mike was reading through the list. And I thought of one on the spot that I have not yet told Michael what it is. I almost pretended like I pressed the button. Just so you could hear it. Hear it, and then, but I'm too nice. So, you know, we've had Thanksgiving. We've had Christmas. We have, uh, um, some of us were fortunate enough, um, even if it was in limited settings, uh, to still have a nice meal, right? And uh, so if you, you think back, here's my question for you, Michael. What food did you really like as a kid you just thought was great? That now as an adult, as you look back at it, was pretty gross. Is that a good one? Yes. Um, you got something in mind already? Yeah. So when I was a little kid, I hated bologna. And then when I was in high school, couldn't get enough of it. Now I hate it. Yeah. I would say bologna was one that I ate and didn't question. Mm-hmm. But it would definitely be one now that I consider yeah. pretty, uh, pretty um, gross. There's some other stuff. Keep going. You go. Okay. As you get more that come to mind, let me know. If they come to mind, yeah. I would say just any hot dog. Like as you get older and you think more about hot dogs, I think many of us probably have gotten more selective Mm -hmm. um, to know what's in it. And all of your sausages and all of your your cured meats. So I would say, yeah, pretty much any hot dog sausage that I just unquestionably assumed must have been okay. Um, Now as an adult, I have a great leeriness about um, I would also put up there, like processed cheese, like those craft yep, single yep, wraps. Yep, that yep. now I really, I despise. As you get older and you buy real unless, cheese, unless it's in a grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah. So you get older and you buy real cheese, and then you eat that, and you're like, ah. Yeah. But that, like when I was little, that was ninety percent of what I thought cheese was. Right. Like you just would eat it like plain. I would put with that uh, cheese whiz too. Yeah, cheese whiz. I don't like anymore. I don't like Velveeta anymore. Um. Oh, I had one. Now it's gone. Uh, recently, I don't know why, but this is the last like year and a half. Can't stand cottage cheese for some reason. Oh, see, I'm a big cottage cheese fan. I, I was. That was one of the I didn't like as a kid. Then I really liked, and then and then all of a sudden I don't like anymore. Cheese its. Yep, I don't like cheese its anymore. Yeah, a lot of cheese stuff, huh? Yeah, well, I do think cheese is one that really got like industrialized. Like that yeah. was, and I. You know and, what else I put up there? Those like TV dinner things. Right. Well, and that, remember, we are the children of, you know, 70s, 80s, and 90s, where everything, it was, our parents thought things were cool that were, because it was new technology, right? And to be fair, too, like our parents were being told these things were healthy for right. us. And then our children, and I think as we got older a little bit, people in our own generation a little bit appreciate the authenticity of a good craft brew of the nice brewed coffee, the organic, this, the, yeah. uh, the, the finer foods and stuff like that, which I think, uh, gen- we, we've been, uh, sort of bagging on some other generations, the generations that are following us get that better than us. They appreciate quality better than we and do. And in products, not just food. Yeah. Right. In, in everything. Uh, I think it's a more holistic approach to Oh. living in general you know one that i still like in certain situations but that i like to hold out more as kids mayonnaise i'm um, still liking mayonnaise. did you ever have mayonnaise and um like craft singles sandwiches like just mayonnaise and craft singles. yeah no that was a staple for me growing no, up. that was um no but <laughs> no i'm not gonna go there uh no but that i was thinking about the cheese thing like you know like like weird cheeses would have been like gross to us, but now yeah, I think we can appreciate it a little bit more. Um, you know what I still like that I wish I would have grown out? Hmm. Like Wonder Bread type bread. Yeah, that one's a hard one to kick. As I've gotten older, like I'm like, this is so spongy. Like it must be just tearing up my insides. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, so good. Yeah. Um, a good cheap hot dog on the Wonder Bread bun. I mean, you know, yeah. or that type of white bread. Uh, yeah, it's terrible for you, but. It sure is tasty. I'm trying to think what else might be. I had one, but I forgot now. I'm trying to think. There was lots of stuff that they told us was healthy that's that's mm-hmm. not too, but lots of package things. Like I'm trying to think some of the package things that we would have that I would just never have now. I I am I I don't like orange juice as much as I used to. As a kid I'd drink I could drink orange juice. I've all never day. been able to do the orange juice thing. Too acidic or what? I don't know. It just doesn't sit right with yeah, me. Okay. 
But what about as a kid, all the things that were called juice that were clearly not? Yeah, sure, that's true. Like Sunny D. I used to love Sunny D. Yeah. Although that's not bad for you, but it's certainly not orange. I don't juice. know if it's good or bad for you, but I think it's I think it's decent. It's better than you know soda or whatever like that. I've gotten off regular soda. Can't handle that anymore. Oh. I'm trying to think of, like stuff that they used to serve in like high school cafeteria too that was supposedly, <laughs> yeah, you know, pretty. I mean, any carbs fr- they any, used to think was great. Ranch dressing was oh, with I, everything. I never liked ranch dressing. Any kind of fruit snack or roll. Yeah, is I was very that was like I was probably like in fifth sixth fruit grade. Fruit by the I'm foot like, or whatever. I'm like I'm yeah. done. I'm done with that. Yeah, I was that was an early on like I can't do that anymore. That's too gross. So I'm trying to think of any potato chip varieties that I would not have now that I have them. <laughs> Those are hard to pass off. Yeah, that's true. I don't like any. I've never liked ranch though ever. Strawberry milk. I don't think I've. I'm sure I've had it, but I I, I can't recall. Yeah, I had it as a kid. Would not want to know. I don't yeah. even. I'm not even a bad big chocolate milk fan now. I still like chocolate. I milk. just like milk. Yeah. Well, that gave us some ideas. There's varieties of pizza like I adore Domino's now. It's like eh. yeah, I've gone around. Pizza Hut too has gone downhill. As I, I got one. Um, oh, I just lost it because we went to Domino's. <laughs> Give me a second. Think of one, Michael. Oh, um, Twinkies. Yep, you're right there. Yep, can't. I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't want a Twinkie now. Uh, it almost makes me sick thinking about it. But yeah, I could. A lot I'll, of that host of stuff. I'll take down some Twinkies when I was was a kid. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, actually, I have more, I have more of a sweet tooth now than I did back then. I think yeah, as I get older, that's probably like, like Amanda likes to, or at least used to like to bake. She still likes to bake, and then uh, so I started getting uh, addicted to the sugar a little bit. Yeah, you know so. what I always hated as a kid, and my mom, you know, knew I hated. It. I'd always complain when she made it, and then I grew up. And I thought maybe someday it was like an adult taste that you acquire, and I still hate kielbasa. Um, I it took me a long time, but now I'm on kielbasa. Oh, Before I, I, I love sauerkraut, it. but kielbasa sauerkraut, just even the smell of it. I, well, <clears throat> if you prepared it, maybe it's a, it's a preparation. Did you fry it? No, it was uh, like in a crock pot. Yeah, see, I think you got to you got to fry it or uh, grill it. Yeah, it'd be. Always thought I'd grow into shrimp. Can't stand shrimp. Always thought I would grow into uh, liver and onions because my mom and my grandpa used to love that. Can't do liver and onions. Yeah, there's certain things that I haven't grown into. You know what I used to have all the time as a kid that I haven't had in decades? Pork chops. Really? Well, I I suppose we we haven't had pork chops since we moved back, but we would get them on the farm. And so, yeah, those are – that is – that's a tough one because you can have some – you have some bad pork chops, you know, like that become, but like pork chops, applesauce and some other side, that was kind of a staple. Yeah. In my early marriage. It was good. All right. You're done? I think so. Okay. We'll be back for our main topic. For our main topic, uh, we are in a series here that we have loosely called "Why America Is Losing Its Mind," talking about our current current culture here, especially when it comes to how we speak to each other, how we think, how do we how do we uh, consume media, um, and of course, along with that is going to be technological advances uh, when it comes to social media. Uh, iPhones, computers, that kind of stuff. Uh, the death of print media um, uh, we're probably witnessing right now. Um, all of this exasperated, of course, by 2020, a pandemic and a, and a pretty weird 
um, political cycle as well. So we've gotten to... What was weird about it, Michael? Well, I think that it was weird because there was not even the pretense of statesmanship or honesty or class. At least in the past, they pretended like they were classy. But, I mean, otherwise, like, rioting and protests and... I don't think that was... Refusals to step down or to investigate stuff on the other side. I mean, that's all pretty normal, right? Well, I think it... Probably more... Um, normal than we like to admit <laughs> it just was out in the open for everybody to see there was that's what i'm saying is that there was just no facade yeah i was just being sarcastic yeah um i i think it'll be actually will be an interesting time for a a legitimately unbiased look at this this last four years because i think that well, and i think even even 12, I think to look, uh, I think 2008 also sure. was a, was an interesting election. There, there's just, I think there's more going on than we appreciate. Yeah. Um, like for instance, this last go around with, you know, this will be, this will come out later this episode, but a stimulus package was going a second stimulus page, package that had been hammered out by the leadership of both parties was ready to sign and the president refused to sign it and then of course everybody he made this mess now he doesn't want to fix it and i'm like well i don't know if he was the only one who made right. this mess and, he, and i mean to his, def- and and his defense too and on that always a biggest yeah. defender, like he was kind of pointing out all the billions right. of pork in there he was doing exactly what we've been complaining about for the last i don't right. know how many decades but i think congress kind of took this as like ha see we're Right. And it's like, no, I don't think you understand. Like, people want the stimulus, but they also are not big fans of like sneaking new laws in the stimulus and package. Ten million to Pakistan for what? You know, right? And um, and then the whole just this the leadership, which I understand you have to be in a closed room leadership, and then we're going to vote on this in twenty four hours. Page right? All the things that are wrong with with Washington, and but because he pointed it out it was somehow he was wrong. And I go, listen, I'm not a fan of the guy, but you, you, that's what I'm saying. An unbiased look years later, we're going to say, right. Yeah. He made this bed for himself by the way he portrayed himself, by the way he used mass media and social media. And that's why I think there's a connection to 2008 too. Yeah. But my goodness, like you really, like, there's just no facade of we are going to actually f- try to find the truth. Right. And that's where I think I mentioned 2008 again, too, because you said, you know, I'm not a fan of the... I think it really, um, over the last 12 years, it really has... I never would have imagined myself, like, talking about being a fan of a politician right, before. Sure. And I think that's kind of grown as a as a thing. Um, well, the, so, uh, l- can, let me tell you where we've been. Is that okay? And then we'll set up. Okay, can I just first... Go ahead. All right. I just want to set the... I don't know that I call it a disclaimer, but a, a definition of... So as we have this discussion, and when we, we say America's getting dumber, um, the lens that when I wrote all these bullet points, what I want to... And you can tell me if you agree or, or disagree. The main thing we're going to be talking about here is our ability, things like um, to engage a text, a whole text, mm-hmm. um, to think critically, and to express ourselves clearly... Um, and then you mentioned earlier, wisdom, not just access to or un- or um, memorization of information, but the ability to tie together and apply information. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. So when, when we're talking about someone thinking well, and so when, when we joke about something being dumber, what I largely mean is not being able to think critically, not being able to express oneself clearly, not being able to engage a text meaningfully. Um, not being able to um, tie together information um, and then a- apply it with wisdom. So we're not necessarily, we're not talking about that person has a lower intellect than somebody right. else or even a higher or lower amount of education. What we're saying is their instincts may be right, their point may be right, or they have at least a kernel of truth in their point, 
but their inability to articulate it and back it up is extremely frustrating. Right. And even the, some of the stuff in the past we might might have even been encapsulated under the umbrella of common sense, mm-hmm. right? Um, that so that's what I mean by it. Now you go ahead and tell us yeah. where we've been and where we're going. So here's we're in this uh, six part series here. We've started out we're not liberals anymore and we should be. Number two, we've forgotten history or never learned it. Number three, partisanship is hardly new and media partisanship is hardly new, but it has been exasperated with technology. Uh, Number four, information overload has led to soundbite engagement with important issues and with other people. Number five, online engagement has undermined personal interaction. And we've gotten to number six, the American population is getting dumber, or at least we're coming off as dumber. We're showcasing it more. We're, for sure. we're, we're proud of our yes. dumberness. There's a hubris to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, we've talked about this before. I believe that I'm okay with, and, and again, we are, we are putting ourselves in this. We're criticizing ourselves here. Certainly uh, we can see these things in ourselves. I'm okay. If you're arrogant, I'm even o- okay. If you're ignorant, but to be arrogant in your ignorance is right. It's hard to overcome. And uh, so if we have a student comes in who's struggling and says, I really don't get this, I think we would go way out of our way, and we have, way out of our way to give them every chance. It's the student who comes and says, "Um, I don't... This topic is stupid. This is dumb. I shouldn't have to learn this, Um, you know or maybe imply you're a terrible teacher or something like that. Or the person. Although we don't really get that. Writes the paper or approaches the thing in an entirely dismissive way so that they don't have to actually engage it. There's extreme arrogance and you can tell that they don't understand the the subject. And so, and so um, that's where you, you go, I don't know if I can help that person. Right. So a hubris in, in ignorance is, it's different than ignorance is bliss. It is a, an aggressive ignorance. It's to be the person, and we're all this at some point. And this is, um, I, I mentioned last episode, this is where I treasure my friends. My friends have all had to call me on my, um, you, you called it arrogant ignorance. I'm going to call it stupidity hubris. Mm-hmm. Um, they're my good friends because they've had to call me on my stupidity hubris at different times. Um, in chat groups, there's back and forth all the time where we'll kind of call each other out on uh, positions we might have on something. And we all have blind spots. Right. I mean, we're, and so it's kind of a stupidity hubris. But I think the way you put it, and I like it, is when we become the person that people think there's no point to even trying mm-hmm. to have a conversation with them or correct them. Everyone listening to this knows a person like that, and everyone listening to this on one topic or another is Is that person. I guarantee, and Mike doesn't have to bring it up for everybody on the podcast, there's areas of my life or positions I hold that Mike knows just not to bring up because it's just not going to be worth it. I'm going to either get triggered or get defensive or whatever, and there's probably some of those things that annoy Mike greatly, but he knows the investment it would take to try to deal with it with me is just not worth it. Your, I would say there's those things with Mike. Your personal um, health, yeah. um, <laughs> the way you dress. Uh, oh, you, did you want me to no. mention them or not mention no, them? No, I said not mention oh, them. Oh, okay, sorry. But there's, um, and I, I, don't, I, I don't have any obvious ones with Mike, but I, I would think there's, there's points where I know, um, both of us know for each other, something might hit close to home or it's just not worth the, the effort. Um, and it might not be anything that even has to do with stupidity, but just the thing. But it is that that hubris of where someone feels it's just you can't have that conversation with that person. Um, and and so that's what I'm yeah. especially getting at. Well, let's talk about how, how maybe this is broader than we than just somebody's a personality yeah, thing. And maybe it's not just so. Maybe it's not just that we've become dumber. Maybe also we could say we've become deafer. Or more deaf, whatever the appropriate term is. Yeah, I think that I think that's largely part of it. Let, let me let me bounce something off you, and since this is your kind of off outline. my unhealthy, poorly dressed body. <laughs> I heard what you said, Michael. <laughs> okay, um, you should go to a doctor now. Um, I did a. Um, I, I have an allergy asthma doctor appointment. 
next week. Maybe they. That's could. the one doctor I go to because I he already knows I have asthma and allergies, uh-huh. and he just I go and he says you have asthma and allergies. Why don't you? You should. I don't like going to the ones who might tell me I have other stuff. You should, but just like sometimes you go to a mechanic and you're and you're feeling like okay, I feel responsible today, and you're like change the oil, and you know what? Take a look around if you trust the guy. Just see right. if there's anything. I do else that. I, my van so, is in the shop, and I told him tune up whatever you think yeah. needs. Just let me know. Because you trust the guy, right? So maybe you go to your asthma doctor and be like, you know what? Take a look around, <laughs> see if anything needs to be tuned up. <laughs> Maybe I'll try that. Technical knowledge is not wisdom. So here, the the way I kind of think about this is we have a long history of separating the the so-called soft sciences, psychology, philosophy, religion, history, the humanities, with hard sciences, math, chemistry, biology, uh, physics, that kind of stuff. Or the architect from the construction worker or the engineer from the, the designer. And so... You, you said technical knowledge is not wisdom and that maybe we have gotten people into here is how you technically do something and will make you money and then you'll retire right. and you'll pay taxes and that will be good for everybody. You will be a productive citizen rather than and the government and the corporation rejoice rather than saying, can we make you a well-rounded uh, person who flourishes as a human being kind of thing. So where are some steps maybe in our educational process where if you could, if you were, if you replace Betsy DeVos, <laughs> maybe that's a good question. If you replace Betsy DeVos and you had free reign and people would listen to you sure. and there was no such there, thing as a teacher's There's some things I really union. like about Betsy yeah. DeVos too. Oh, so I do too. Um, I would, I would double down on school choice. Yeah. So, but behind that, like, uh, what, what, what would be some things that you would say, this is a problem in K-12. This is a problem in higher education. Sure. This is a problem in high school. I, I would say the first thing would be um, what the corporations say they need would move much further down on my list um, because the corporations can then bear the burden of training people mm-hmm. um, for those roles uh, to a greater degree than they do. Now, that's not to say we should become... It's kind of like the college and the NFL. The NFL just doesn't have to pay for a farm system because it has a farm system and then it tells and then maybe says this is what I want my farm system to look like and the college says And many times those same corporations that might say well we are paying taxes to uh, fund the education system no they're not and we're right uh, to a a shocking degree often or not but we won't don't get me going on that so um, I would uh, I would say um, a hard look at curriculum um Curriculum, in many ways, has had to absorb a lot of things over the last few decades because of technological advancements. Um, when I had keyboarding class in high school, which was one of the first times I, I got in trouble in high school, we uh, had the Apple IIe or whatever, mm-hmm. and a buddy of mine and I, uh, we switched all the computer keys when our friends had to take their typing tests, and uh, you know they were kind of pecking, and it was hitting mm-hmm. the wrong thing, and so they were all failing their test, and but the pen had broke when we did it, and it left ink, and then we had ink on our hands, you know? Mm. Um, and you could move the key. There, it was easy to pop keys on that. It wasn't like long-term vandalism, what we did. Um, you were caught blue-handed. Yeah, it actually was blue ink. It's funny you say that. Um, but people need to be able to type in our day and age, right? I understand that I have a certain sensitivity to it. But at the same time, what has often suffered has been things that cultivate prolonged engagement with things um so civics for instance is gone where we learn about our our government and and why we have the government we have what its shortcomings have been um how we might improve it um english in many ways has become just technical writing so that people can fill out invoices when they get out um diagramming sentences is great um, but if you don't get beyond that to actually engaging with a, a meaningful text, I would say especially fiction, mm. um, becomes uh, problematic. Um, I think there ought to be some level of logic that is taught at the uh, at the high school level. Um, and uh, I would say more classes in the trades as well, um, so that even those who are not going to go on and go into the trades um, – that it's not just the college prep track, mm-hmm. but that you actually have to be able to engage your mind in different ways 
than you might do in a college prep track. Um, the same as those who are going to go into the trades are exposed to <clears throat> other classes that they might not find um, to be particularly um, tied to becoming an electrician or a plumber or something uh, like that. I, uh, just in general, I've come to appreciate the skilled trades more and more the older I get. I, uh, my own kids know if they want to go into that, uh, great. Um, you, you, can't, uh, you can't send the plumber's job to India or Mexico. No. But, uh, so I would, I would say engage, more engagements with techs, protracted engagements. So you have to keep coming back to the themes. Um, civics, some critical thinking. And I think a lot of critical thinking when coming through history. I would get rid of these grand scheme history classes. Nothing drives me more nuts than you're going to do a semester and you're going to do all of world history. You're going to try to wrap your head around. Especially doing world history before you've done your own history, I find to be a waste of time. Um, but to actually engage a, pe a period in a meaningful way um, so that you have to try to contextualize things, you have to look at cause and effect if, to the extent that you're able to, uh, things like that. But go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that one's a tough one for me is how do you, how do you teach history? And, of course, this you know, we get this fight where, you know, I, I got to, should we be only teaching Western Civ and or should we be teaching world history and every historian on any of your campuses, right? Like, we would appreciate it if, if we were allowed to teach history in general, yeah. right? The problem is not which history. The problem is, is you're only taking one history class, right? So do you, do you say, here's an overarching history? Um, or do you say, you know what? Tough luck. You're just going to have to zero in on something. And know? I'm a big fan of early on. If you only get one or the other, you zero in because... There's no way to contextualize the overarching classes. Right. You don't get to study any of the periods in detail. They remain just foreign concepts. Yeah, and so uh, th that's I really roll my eyes when, when all of a sudden history becomes a political football. like, And, and it always has been, of course, but, but uh, uh, more so in the last maybe tw 30 years, right? Yep. The idea of why should I learn white history when I'm not learning my... Asian history or whatever. And, 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 you know, this is where sometimes, too, people bring that up, and um, it's kind of a false dichotomy that you're either studying other people's history or your history. Right. American history has enough aspects that I can certainly learn to identify with sure. the other. Um, the, whatever history class it is that, that Nick and um, Maggie have used, I'm not going to mention the book because people will either love it or hate it, but um, the history teacher for that class has them using just a book I love. It's a great book. Um, that's meant to look at under-studied um, uh, groups of people, mm -hmm. right? Uh, um, you know, it's not just great men history, um, great men in mm -hmm. quotation marks. You can do that with almost any period. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's one reason why I kind of roll my eyes at this. You can tell people have not, these are not historians really thinking about this. But the second thing is, where were you? when we were cutting history left and right, you know? Um, you, can't, you can't all of a sudden say, well, why are you making me learn this one history when the historians are like, we, we want to teach anything. Right. And you have sat idly by, by, the, by while this was being cut and cut and cut. And so I, I really don't have any time for that argument. And, and um, I think, um, and we'll get to, but the, the last thing I'd bring up in that connection is standardized testing changed all of this. And as you were teaching to the test, you had less, you have to get facts in their head. You had less time to engage things in that way. So you asked me before if I were Betsy DeVos. Um, I would get rid of a ton of standardized tests. I'm reticent to say I'd get rid of the SATs and ACTs altogether because I think sometimes those actually help underprivileged or underserved communities because maybe someone who didn't have access to as mm -hmm. great of a school to get them Can into a college yep. scores really well on there. Um, but I, but I, I do think teaching a test is part of one of, the, one of the main causes of us becoming dumber. Um, let's speak about, instead of learning and reading, about actually writing. So the creative versus technical writing, what did you mean by that? What I, what I mean by that uh, is, now, and I, now I'm going to be confusing because I mentioned technical writing before. Um, <clears throat> when students are writing, and it's not simply diagram a sentence or use a sentence with this as a verb, um, many... <coughs> schools now are simply emphasizing creative writing, which is in many ways emotive writing, mm -hmm. um, which becomes uh, a lot less hard 
to assess in terms of how well it clearly communicates things, right? Because creative writing is uh, beholden to the author in a certain way as you don't want to seem like you're making judgments on the author or what they've chosen to share or to express. <clears throat> what I mean by technical writing and what I have on the page there is a little bit different from when I said technical writing before. Um, those who are doing technical writing in schools now and many times are getting, write a one-page essay on this. Include these five key points. Mm -hmm. Use four adjectives. Um, have two semicolons. That's the kind of technical writing I, I'm taking issue with. What I mean here by technical writing as far as um, here would be kind of in, like when David Foster Wallace does authority in American usage and he talks about um, to some degree, whether we take a subjective or objective use of, uh, view of language, to some degree, we owe our hearer the debt of communicating in a way <clears throat> that can cross whatever boundaries that we're, we're dealing with. And that's the writing <coughs> that I think has suffered. And that's where I think that it's important that students still learn to write in a way that is different from how they speak. Right? Historically, there were things that still probably we were the tail end of being taught when you write, you don't do these things that you do in speech. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very valuable thing. Now, some of it I think is stupid. My students will sometimes ask me, can I use the first person? I say, absolutely, because when you say this student, unless you cheated, I highly suspect <laughs> that it's you. Um, I don't think it's the end of the world to use contractions at times in a, in a helpful way. Sometimes a colloquialism can you know, do something better um, uh, than the kind of pedantic gymnastics you have to do to avoid it. <clears throat> Um, but there is something to learning how to communicate with someone in a um, fashion different than speech that is being done for the benefit of ones here, knowing how to use punctuation well. And if you're online at all, even when you when I consume respectable newspapers, I know the things that get through now. Um, that's what I mean. That kind of writing, I think, should, there needs to be more of. And you know, it's interesting that you bring up the, the speaking and, and writing, and those are two different things. I think I notice my uh, writing for sermons went through stages where we were brought up, right? You, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you're not going to use the, the first person. You're not going to do these things. And then having gone into foreign language and specifically foreign languages like Greek and German, which would have therefore and yeah. on account of and these longer uh these longer sentences um that it took me a while to get out of that and to write like i i want to write for the ear for the ear and then because that's how you're going to deliver it and then if you had to write all of a sudden a paper for the conference to switch gears again and or even if you were going to post that same sermon, right. the text of it online, you would perhaps I, rework it. I hate doing that because I'm like, I wrote this to be heard, yep. not to be. Um, but, but the reason why that is important in this discussion is maybe we've missed also rhetoric, right? And um, being able to speak clearly and to write clearly and know when to share and when to keep separate those skills, um, I think is, I wouldn't say largely lost. I would say now it is someone's got the talent or they don't. It's not something that would be ingrained in somebody from very early on as it might be, um, uh, you know, in the medieval age for those who had education, right? who are going to learn about rhetoric, literally learn about rhetoric, right? Um, and of course, this goes back to the problem is um, that doesn't get you a paying job. And so right. colleges are not going to be putting money so into that. I mean, the professionalization of education, that, yep. that education largely exists rather than now to make you a citizen, which is often when public education came about, that was a, a concern. There's always been the corporate concern. Um, but largely now it is to make you an employee. Right. And so we're back to the servile arts rather than the liberal arts. Right. We're sort of straddling this kind of thing. And you and I would both, and, and obviously this comes with a grain of salt because this is our livelihoods, but our 
slowly watching this fade away and are bemoaning it and nobody's listening. Right. And if they do listen, we're just the old man on the on yelling, get off our lawn. Now, to be a good citizen, I want you to be able to read a whole newspaper article. To be a good citizen, I want you to be able to listen to a debate for more than slogans and sound bites and bumper sticker type quotes. <clears throat> um, to be a good citizen, I want you to be able to, at least on a basic level, um, be able to ask questions of a policy or to have it explained to you um, and be able to get some level of <clears throat> of nuance. Uh, to be a good citizen, I want you to be able to convey your thought to me in person or in writing in a way that keeps me in mind, right, that I have to be able to, to track it, uh, to follow it. <clears throat> to be a good citizen, I want us to have a common understanding of certain concepts so that we can have a shared language for having a discussion. Um, these are the types of things um, that I think have largely been lost. They've been lost on the college level with kind of the death of gen eds or the neutering of the gen eds. Um, and they've been lost in, in grade school and uh, middle school and high school um, with curriculum shifts and, and with um, bombardment with data towards standardized texts, right? Um, in many ways, when students write, that writing has become primarily creative writing, which is motive, um, and not really subject to rules that keep the hearer in mind to the degree that maybe it could be. And then interestingly, on the flip side, when they read, they're largely bombarded with technical data and that drawn into a prolonged engagement with the text, whether it be fiction or nonfiction, where they are challenged and have to kind of make their way along like someone going on a, a, a traveling journey where you things make sense in hindsight as you experientially come to know them better. Well put. Um, I, and I think this is, again, not so that we make sure that we're not coming off as elitist. This and is a problem. I'm not blaming higher, teachers, no. Yeah, this, is a, this is a problem in higher education as well. Um, and I'll go back to my soft sciences versus hard sciences. The, you know, there, there is a uh, jealousy, a soft science jealousy of hard sciences. They're getting the funding. They're the ones that, uh, you know, uh, are, are the ones that um, are the superstars in academia for the last how many how many years <clears throat> and so in order to be a legit to be considered a legit kind of a discipline you may take something like theology and have to say what's the data show me the data right and so this is my experience in a professional degree as doctorate is I had to produce data and um, and it was um, uh, contrived to say the least and so and it was do this here is the chapter you to write then you write this chapter then you write this chapter and it's specifically specific instructions and so I, I see our kids coming out of, of, of high school and coming to us and I say write this you have some free, you have you have a free reign to Land write to. and they will they just freeze up yep they yep. freeze up. They go, what's the exact prompt that I need to do in order yep. to get this? And I go, man, that's, you know, and, and I say, and then I'll, but you have latitude, do what you want. And then they're still paralyzed. Yeah. So they're paralyzed by freedom. Well, and I, I think along those lines too, um, something that maybe crystallizes this is if you look at the pandemic today, um, <clears throat> as we have people who have gotten highly specialized professions. We are blessed with talented physicians and scientists who have done amazing things. I mean, we have a vaccine in record I know, time. I it's ridiculous. Yet, with the death of kind of the popular scientist or popular scientific works, um, you have many who are... Un we have lost the war to explain these things to the population at large. I don't know how anybody can go online or watch the news and not say... We have lost the war to educate our population on these issues. And we've done it um, in a number of ways, from not being honest with people in the beginning um, and then from, from not realizing the fears that people may bring into something they don't understand. But on the flip side, and I think this is even the guiltier party, we in general, by not being sufficiently educated in at least the general concepts we need to understand these things, have failed 
um, to give a fair hearing where the hearing is due and to be able to grasp some of the things in play. You see it when people say, how can we trust science? The science keeps changing. Well, of course we know more about COVID six months later than we knew two weeks after. Science tests stuff. Maybe this will work. Now this doesn't appear to be working. Um, you see it in these wild theories about, um, you know, epidemiological things that, that people get because they don't have the framework for being taught on it. But you also get it in some of the derisiveness of those who say, well, don't they just understand? I'm the one who's trained in this. They should just listen to me. Well, America is a country that's based on questioning authority. It's kind of how we became America, right? And that's not only with the hard sciences. Um, this is why the humanities are in such bad shape now, too. The humanities became this kind of uh, um, siloed field where we're all going to talk to each other about highly technical jargon um, that often in, in, in many ways has no benefit to the broader society as a whole, which we expect to fund us. Philosophers became professional philosophers right. rather than... And then, if God forbid you write a popular history work, because that's not academic, as if vocationally that's not part of what we want to do. And so the same thing has happened with history. For the love of everything um, wonderful... Uh, we should be thinking about the 1918 Spanish flu all the time and drawing lessons from it. But if you read up on the Spanish flu, we have done about everything wrong we could have done um, that we could have learned better from from that time. And so there's a failure on both sides. We have people who have highly te technical work that they've done who are unable to explain it to the public, and we have a public that has not been equipped to understand it um, or Doesn't to, to respect those who hold the offices that are sharing it because they feel they've been let. And there's, this is point six, so there's five things before this that go into it. But that's part of what I mean by, by we've become dumber. It's one thing to, it's a great thing to be able to invent a vaccine. It's also a great thing to be able to explain the vaccine to the layperson <clears throat> so that the vaccine can actually do some good in the wider population. And be honest about it, too. Right. And th this all and that's not faulting. Yeah. I, I'm using science as a, right. the science as a, hard science as an example. But that's. Th it's true about everything. Right. And, uh, yeah, the, the, it reminds me of two things. One is, a lot of this, uh, you can lay some of the blame on the media here, right? The gatekeeper's yep. information. But it's a business, and they have customers, and they give the customers what they want. Right. And, it's on us. And we are the customers. We're the customers. Um, the second thing is, you know, we, we're always warned, uh, you know, don't use technical language when you're, you're speaking theology. And that was a fair warning. Yep. At the same time, you lose something when you dumb it all down. And so the goal is not just to dumb it down and keep it there, but to build, right? right. This is my care about not my neighbor. Not to be on milk all the time, but to build towards our food. So, um, you know, when this is true then of every kind of, you and I, I, I don't do the healthcare in my family. That's the one thing I, insurance, I can't, I try, I just can't understand it. I can't. And, and I look at this and I go, this is purposely confusing, right? This is purposely confusing. And then I remind myself that this may be confusing when I speak theological terms to somebody else. So there, there's got to be, there should be this, let's make it very clear, right, without technical jargon. But there are times when you need to have those technical terms. There's nuance in there and to define those terms. And uh, I don't believe corporations have done that very well, although I will say um, that the, the, boogie, the current boogeyman, Facebook and Google and Apple, I think some pretty highly sophisticated stuff have worked over the last, you know, when, when this started to boom, especially with Apple, they were able to serve their customer in that way far greater than any uh, computer company before that or a highly technical whatever. I mean, they went out of the way to say, how can I make this easily understandable to you? Um, but that's not always been the case when it comes to government and some of the, some of the pandemic stuff, maybe. Yeah. And I, <clears throat> once again, I just want to reiterate, I am not faulting, uh, teachers. Um, although there's, there's always fault everyone can bear. Um, 
teachers don't make their curriculum, right? We don't. It's a whole nother, whole nother. Get into the unions yeah. and the and and the school boards. That's a whole other thing. I'm not faulting simply budgetary stuff. Um, if if we could learn anything as a country, it's probably one of the the chief things could be throwing money at something doesn't just fix it. You mentioned healthcare. We spend yeah. more than most countries. I don't know that my healthcare has got better. <clears throat> um, not that I avail myself of it that much, uh, but. Um, Standardized testing, I've, the teachers don't decide, well, let's do standardized testing. Um, this is, in many ways, that they're forced into teaching to it. The same as, I'm not, I'm not faulting students. Students are learning what's put before them, and they're held accountable for those things. I might want to tell my kids, you know what, don't just learn for the test. But at the same time, my, my kids don't want to fail their class. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is, is in, and this is not something I'm saying America has ever done well, Um. But a way in which we, we have a, a framework for understanding concepts, and be, you mentioned rhetoric before, and right, what's the skill of rhetoric? Rhetoric is to be persuasive. Well, if you're going to be persuasive, who has to be paramount in your, in your thoughts? Your hearer. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think in, where we've become dumber and deafer um, is in that, reg- I, I would say it's just a communicative thing. I don't know why this one fires me up so much, but I'm going to be quiet for a while and let you. No, I, I you can get, wrap it up or whatever you want to do. No, I get what you're saying here, and um, maybe one thought that's sort of um, tangential a little bit, and we won't go down this road too much. But um, when you think of the United States of America, and you think about very fairly early on um, a public school system, right? Uh, religious private schools, as we know, the large ones, Roman Catholics, Lutherans, came second generation kind of stuff. Um, It's remarkable that the history of the United States has everybody gets an education and that it's going to be tax paid. It doesn't matter who you are. I mean, it's remarkable. It's a gift. It's remarkable. And then when we criticize the educational system, which I think we rightfully should at some points, we have to realize we're trying to educate everybody. Right. This is a whole lot easier if you're Alcuin of York trying to fix stuff for, you know, within the cathedral system and uh, the local parishes, perhaps, and, and the court where the vast majority of people are going to remain illiterate. And that's just what you're going to, that's just, you're not, you're not fighting the delinquent parents to get their kids into school, you know, and, and you hope that they're there 50% of the day so you can pass them on. Right. That the, the, the project of public education in a 300 million plus nation from a variety of economic and uh, cultural and religious and different uh, linguistic backgrounds is probably one of the hardest things that you could, you could try yes. to accomplish. So we, we do understand from our ivory tower here on the third floor how difficult this is. At the same time, I think there is some right criticism when it comes to teachers unions, when it comes to school boards, when it comes to the federal government, when it comes to uh, those who are in charge of pushing standardized tests. And parents who tests, expect schools just to be babysitting. Parents, right, um, who are not involved. And I speak as a parent who is very not involved in the child's education, even though I'm an educator myself. It's difficult. It is very difficult. Um, but it is also the place where if you are going to pull us out of a very bitter divide it probably would be there along with the with the family and the church but. yeah and I, I think largely what i'm trying to say and i'll put it this way and, and yeah you tell me wrap if it, it up sense, here mike um if we're going to be honest when you were in the parish when i was in the parish for many parish pastors you have confirmation right and i personally am not a, a big fan of confirmation or how we do it but that's for another time but what was one of the, the sad aspects of confirmation for you mike maybe it wasn't for you but um, the the graduation idea. Yeah, this is this is the end for many of their, for many of them of a meaningful theological education. And I guess what I what I'm trying to say, is, 
And so you counteracted that in, con- in confirmation classes as best you could. In fact, I refused to call them ca- confirmation classes. Yeah. Um, I call them catechesis. catechesis. Um, but uh, would be that in many ways I would love to see education, whether it be primary, secondary, whatever, um, want to avoid the same thing that one approaching confirmation and catechesis would want to avoid. That it be setting one up for a lifetime of learning and not the end to one's um, meaningful education in life. And so when it comes to that, I think we need to be really conscious as a country and as a church about what we want education to do. Um, Studies about how many books we read a year, for instance, are just extremely depressing. Mm -hmm. Um, But are we going to set people up to be lifelong learners or are we going to say now we've done our job go get your job and i think that that ladder has has set us up for some real trouble um and uh and and that's where i i i I, um and i don't see it changing um i do not fault my students at all when, when students are paying what they pay for college today. They better get a good job. Which people our age or older, we need to be way more sensitive to young people when they talk about debt. Mm-hmm. Because we paid a lot less. And you know who paid the least of all is the, the boomers who love to hold this stuff. I always get a kick out of the fact that the boomers were able to go from being hippies to being Reagan <laughs> I mean, what's bigger what's bigger than than student loans is getting a house right that that's that's the huge difference but when they if i'm going to be coming out um what a, a healthy amount of student debt is considered what twenty five thousand dollars or so yeah. if i'm going to be coming out in a hole like that i want to be employable right and my whole goal then understandably because of the investment i'm making is to be as employable as as possible communities want students to graduate from their schools and be employable because that's how you have a viable community. So I totally understand wanting to be employable, right? I guess my concern is that we simply, the same as my goal in catechism class is, is not simply that they will be churchgoers. Yep. Because there's many a churchgoers who don't know a lick about God's word. Um, it's, I want them to be in the word Christians, right? So also I want people to come out in the secular realm who are employable, um, but are also going to be engaged in learning throughout life. And um, I just don't know societally that we've even set up good avenues for people to be able to uh, to do that um, anymore. You know, it used to be even in, you know, Mark Twain, spent a lot of time going and, and lecturing at places on interesting topics that might draw people. And that day has obviously passed, but um, right to, to cultivate that desire that even if I'm uh, you know the person who is working 50 hours a week on something highly technical or um, I'm on the assembly line, that to have the desire to want to, um, to engage more. Um, yeah, that's hard. How do you how do you change somebody's desire, right? I mean, that that becomes a very difficult thing. But I do think that there's an interest out there. I mean, you see that with the rise of podcast masterclass. And in here, I would say too. While we fault, you know, people will bash the younger generations. In many ways, it's the millennials who have pioneered these new mediums. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think I think there is a little bit of hope there. Um, and a place like fifteen seventeen, I think, has put their finger on that a little bit. At least, just trying to from a from a uh, from a Lutheran point of view. So, yeah, no, I think this is a good topic. We're out of time. I apologize for listening. I vented a lot. This that time. was all right. And um, next time, uh, I think, come back, because I think this will be one of the more interesting ones, is that is cultural Christianity is slowing, dying off. I think this might and, end up being my favorite and, one if we and, do it well. And the tagline would be, and that's not such a bad thing. Yeah. Right? So uh, please come back. Um, we will be in part seven of, we'll see, maybe a, a part, uh, 11 part series 50 part, on, <laughs> on why America is losing its mind, or at least this is why we think it is. Until then, let the bird fly. Uh, every evening when the sun goes down, get the 
my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk. I'm just a drinker. I set him up another round. I set him up another round. I set him up another round. One more round won't get me down.